0: Good morning, church. It is always a pleasure to be with you this morning, uh, to be with you every time we gather together as a church. If you're a guest, welcome. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. We're always excited to have guests with us. And again, we always say this to you if we can plug you into the different ministries here, uh, we would love to do that. So please let us know how we can help you. And if you remember, know that we have been praying for you thinking deeply about you, um, let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, Let the elders know, let the deacons know how we can pray for you. Uh, The greatest work that we can do here as leaders is to minister to you and to pray for you. Pray for you, pray for your families. Um, So just know that we are willing to pray for you and love to pray for you. We are in a series right now, the one another's of the Bible, um, and today we are in uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Um, I was going to title this, Wash One Another's Feet, uh, but, but uh, there's a better and a greater title, and it's the attitude of a humble servant. So it's not just washing people's feet, it's greater than that. And Jesus shows us something amazing here. So, when you've arrived to the passage of Scripture in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15, say, Word. Word. Stand. Stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts this morning that our Lord and Savior gave us a great example on how to serve people. Our hearts are filled with pride. We live in a very narcissistic culture where it's all about us. We think deeply about us and not about others. And even when we try to do good things for others, it's about us. The motive is us. What do we get from this? And we're all guilty of this and all susceptible to this. So God, I pray for us to fully understand what Jesus is doing here. Kill our flesh. Show us who we really are and give us grace and grace upon grace so that we can love people deeply. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we're not. And give us what we do not have. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is The Attitude of a Humble Servant. D.L. Moody, great preacher once said, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. I'll say it again. The measure of a man is not seen in how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. This is true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, we know that people follow Jesus, right? And in John six six six, it mentioned many of his disciples stopped following him. Then we find Jesus with 12 disciples and one betrayed him that left him with 11. Then we find Jesus as he is in the garden of Gethsemane, right? And and we find that they're coming to arrest him. Every single one of his disciples left him. This great savior, Jesus Christ, we should not say he is great because of the people who served him, but he is great because of the people he came to serve. And Jesus said the same thing to us. In in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we are given a great description of Jesus' humble servanthood. A great description of Jesus' humble servanthood. Notice this very carefully, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 having this mind among you among yourself which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is a great description of Jesus' humble servanthood. This morning in John chapter 13 verses 1 through 3, we are given an illustration of Jesus' humble servanthood. It is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. But it's important that you understand the context of John chapter 13. John 13 through John 17 is called by many scholars as the farewell discourse. Why is it the farewell discourse? It is Jesus sharing with his disciples some important topics. It's a series of lecture from Jesus because Jesus knows that he will depart and be with the Father. So on his mind is the glory of the Father, but on his mind is also the church, his people. So Jesus knows he's about to leave and then he brings them together and he's teaching them some important things. Chapter 13 is about servanthood. Chapter 14 is about the role that Jesus has and the fact that we are called to submit to him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He also shares about another who would come in the likeness of Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, he says that we are called to abide in him. We cannot do anything apart from Christ, but everything in Christ. In chapter 16, he tells us of the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is there to convict us, to lead us, and to guide us. And when Jesus is gone, he is sending the Spirit of God to be with us and remind us of the work of Christ. In chapter 17, he shares of the importance of prayer. But most importantly, his prayer for his elect, his prayer for his church, his prayer for the believers, that Jesus is consistently praying for us. So he reminds them of this. This is the farewell discourse. And he reminds them of all of this. To start the farewell discourse was, you must have a humble heart. Jesus is saying, look, there's a lot of dissension among you. You do not even know how to serve each other. You guys are fighting all the time. But for you to get this, you must love one another. You must serve one another this morning i want us to see three reasons why we should humbly serve each other what are they reason number one we serve each other because of jesus's love for us friends this has been wrecking me all week this passage right there the fact that jesus loved us he loved his own the fact the fact that what was on Jesus' mind on his way to Golgotha, on the way, his way to, to Calvary, was the glory of God. He wanted to glorify his Father. But on his mind as well was his disciples and people who would come to know Christ. You were on his mind. And here, the text is helping us see this, that, that his love for his people, his love for the ones that God has given him, And this is so important because without that, we cannot love the way we ought to. It is the love of God that leads us to repentance. And here we must get this. We must understand this. As I was studying this and reading this and studying this and reading this, I'm like, why would God love me? There's no reason. No reason that he should love me. But yet he does. (laughs) Thank God for this. So first we we see we serve each other because first of the love that we receive from Christ. We serve each each other because of Jesus' love for us. We see this in verse 1. 2, we serve each other because of Jesus' humility. His humility. We see this in verses 2 through 11 and 3. We serve each other because of Jesus' example. We see this in verses 12 through 15. My prayer is that you're ready to be engaged in the word of God. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Be engaged. Think deeply. I do want you to ask the Spirit to reveal what's in you. All right? As as Christians, if, if many of you are Christians here Ask the Lord to reveal what's in you. God, God, do I truly love people like I ought to? Or have I allowed this narcissistic culture, self-centered culture to, to infiltrate my heart? It, it is important for us to do this. It's kind of like a spiritual checkup and tune-up, right? That we need to observe because if we miss this, we'll miss what the Lord is saying to us Here. I think think many of us, we we think, yeah, I'm loving people because I'm giving them money. or I'm serving in this way. But deep down inside, we are struggling tremendously. We have this facade. But friends, observe carefully what Jesus is doing here. Point number one, we serve each other because of Jesus' love for us. So first question I want to ask you why does jesus love us <laughs> why there's just no answer given seriously we think deeply why is it because we're so lovable ha, no no i, I could tell you no it's not because you're lovable and you might look at it from a worldly perspective and say, yeah, you're lovable. But based on Jesus' perspective, heavenly perspective, biblical perspective, no, you are not lovable. You are not. You know why? Here it is. God is holy and we are unholy. God is just and we are unjust. God is loving and we are filled with hatred and all forms of sin. In short, we are sinful and In willful rebellion against God. Yet he loves us. Yet he loves us. This is exactly what the Bible is saying. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes this for us. The Bible doesn't tell us, well, God loves us because we are so good. The Bible tells us the opposite. And notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you lovable? No. Are you good? No. Are you holy? No. Are you just? No. God died for us. Well, maybe, maybe it's because maybe it's because I loved him first, so he loves me. Like, like that's what the world says. I, I mean, I love God since I was a little child. I love God since I can even remember praying. I just have a love for God. And because I love God, God loves me. Huh? Well, let's see what the Bible says about this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. The Bible says you didn't love him first. You didn't choose him first. He loved you first. He chose you first. Not because of anything good in you, but because of who he is. Well, well, Kevin, God chose us because we are his greatest creation and we can praise him like no one else can. Trust me, angels are praising him every single second and hour. He didn't create you just to praise him right in other words he didn't create you and says you know what i'm gonna create them i'm gonna love them so they can praise me because i am lacking in praise yes we should praise god yes we should glorify god but notice god didn't love you uh oh, god says oh, i love you because you're gonna give me something that i am lacking no he is not lacking praise Maybe because we are many. There's so many people, and, and God just needs all of these people to make much of him. That's not why he loved you. Well, how do you know this, Kevin? The answer is given to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Notice what he said to Moses and the Israelites It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. <laughs> you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out of, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, why is it that God loves us? Simple. Because he loves us. (laughs) There is no explanation. But simply because he loves us. James Boyce says, come in closer. Come in closer and listen to this. The reason God loves us is that he loves us. Beyond that, his love is unexplainable. It is without reason, at least without reason, known to us. Even more, that we should praise him and thank him for his grace and his mercy. Right? But there are two things that we must understand about God's love in verse 1. Two things here. One, he loved his own. And two, he loved his own till the end. You see it in verse 1 of chapter 3. It explains the love of Jesus. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. First, we must ask ourselves, what does the text mean he loved his own out of the world? John has been answering this throughout his epistle, or throughout his gospel. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1 verse 12, he tells us, But many who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So we're not all children of God, we are all God's creation. But when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, then you're considered to be his child. In John chapter 6, verse 44, he says he draws them. The Father gives Christ and he draws them to himself. Here, he's talking about those who are elected. The elect, those who are believers, those who have repented, those who are Christ, his own out of the world. Do you see it? There's no doubt that Jesus has a special love for his own more than the love that he has for the world. Don't get me wrong, Jesus loves the world. Where do you get this from Kevin? The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, right? And verse 16. For God so loved the world. But here he says to us that God, Jesus, loves his own out of the world those who believe upon him so friends don't miss this here it gives us a great desire a great passion a great picture of the love of jesus that jesus loves his own friends he loves the church so much he loves you so much if you have a relationship with christ know this that god has a special love for you you are his child you are his this is exactly what he's saying here but what else we must know about his love second he loves his own to the end this is the word telos in greek it is the same word that jesus used when he says it is finished on the cross this is the same word here and the word basically means a sense of perfection In other words, I want you to get this and come in closer and write this down if you can. Jesus's love for us to, or Jesus loves us to the fullest measure of his love. Jesus' love for us, those who are born again, those who are his, is to the fullness of measure. Get this. This is great love. So what should be our response, my friends? Saints, what should be your response to the love of Jesus? Here's the response. To love God more and to love others around you. This love is not given to you so you can sit on it, so you can walk around and say, oh, God loves me. This love is not meant to bring a sense of pride in your heart. Well, I'm the small child of God. No, he doesn't have any small children. This love is meant to bring about grace in your life, to humble you, to show you how amazing God is. This is is what his love is meant to do. So what should be our response? Number one, to love God more, to thank God more, to worship God more god you love me for no reason it's not because i have anything good in me but you love me and you're thinking of me and you're lavishing your mercy upon me but also it is meant to love others around us (laughs) it is the most disgusting thing when you see christians who claim christianity who worship god every day and they have nothing but hate in their hearts Come on, guys. Come on, saints. We are called to love people. Love people like our Lord loves people. The story was told about a man who was a superintendent of a city rescue mission for 40 years. And he was asked, why did you spend 40 years of your life working with dirty, unkept, and profane, drunkard people? this was his response he said all i'm doing is giving back to others a little of the love god has shown me he said when i was younger me too i was a drunkard and i went to the exact same mission rescue mission area and i entered and when i entered there i was drunk and i went just for a bowl of soup And they gave it to me, and I sat down, and I listened to a preacher preach. And he was preaching about the love of Christ. And he said, how much did Jesus, Jesus loves us so much. He died on the cross, and he said at that moment, he walked down and grabbed the preacher's hand. Although he was a little confused because he was drunk, he knew something was happening to him. And he says, preacher, I am drunk, but you're talking about the love of God, and I want to know more. The preacher spent about an hour talking to him, and this man left. He left the rescue mission, changed forever. A little later, a couple of months later, he decided, or he felt the Lord was calling him to go back and serve the people. So he he became the superintendent for 40 years. Why? Why would you do that? Because he experienced the love of God. This is the appropriate response. When we receive the love of God and understand the love of God and understand the love of Jesus, then we will find ourselves loving Jesus more and loving others around us. This man understood that. The power of redeeming love, coming closer, coming closer, listen to this. The power of redeeming love enabled him, this man, the superintendent, to carry on his ministry for 40 years. Friends, if there's anything you can do, after coming to know Jesus and worshiping Jesus, exalting Jesus, repenting of your sins, is to love people. Yes, yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, they're going to have problems and we're going to be angry at people, frustrated with people. But friends, at the end of the day, reflect upon the love of God. And as you're reflecting upon the love of God, that should cause you to love others around you. Of people. The second point we must see here is we serve each other because of Jesus' humility. Two things here provide, it really provide a backdrop of Jesus' humility for us. One is negative and one is positive. One creates this black backdrop against the love of Christ. And the other one shows us or gives us more of a, a white backdrop of the love of Christ. One is negative and one is positive. So let's observe the negative one first. Both of them deal with what Jesus knew. One, he knew that Ju- Judas would betray him. And this is what the text tells us in verse 2. Notice very carefully in verse 2 what it says. And the supper when the devil had already put in to the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So first we, we see the black backdrop of Simon, of, 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 of Judas betraying Jesus. So there's a transition from the love of Jesus to now the betrayal of Judas. This is amazing because I want you to see this with me very carefully. Judas's betrayal provides a black backdrop against which Christ's love appears to be even more glorious, even more glorious. Here is Jesus serving his disciples, and here is Judas loving money, and, willing, and will betray Jesus. But here, here is a beautiful thing here. Even Jesus, knowing all of this will happen, still wash Judas' feet. <laughs> Would you wash someone's feet that you know without a doubt that they will betray you? I'll be the first one to say to you, I will struggle tremendously with that. The Spirit of God will have to really move in me to help me. But we have a picture of Jesus here, knowing exactly what Judas would do and still washed his feet, still showed love to Judas, knowing that Judas wasn't even one of his, knowing that Judas loved money above all things. But notice the next thing, his position. What did Jesus know? Jesus knew of his position. Jesus was not struggling with amnesia, brothers and sisters. Come closer. It wasn't as if Jesus thought to himself, you know what, man, I'm just fully man. I'm not fully God. I don't know all things. I, I don't, I, all of these things were not created for me and through me and by me. Jesus wasn't saying, well, you know, I'm not ranked above all things according to what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says. That he was the firstborn of all creation basically means that he is ranked above all things. Doesn't mean that God created him. Jesus is God. It basically means he ranks all things. He has a high position. It wasn't as if Jesus forgot all about that. No, he knew all of that. He knew all of it. This is exactly what verse 2 says to us. That he knows that the Father has given him all things. And yet, it's profound as to what he will do in verse 4. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, we find Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Notice what D.A. Carson states here. This is profound. Coming closer, listen to this. With such power and status at his disposal we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath. Instead he washes his disciples feet including the feet of the betrayer. What an amazing act of humility I want you to get this because verses 4 through 11 tells us something very important and don't miss this i want you to think about this please come in closer and get this our creator god washed the feet of his creation (laughs) simple but yet profound the god who created the universe just by speaking The God who created the highest mountain and the vastness of the ocean. The God who created all the animals. It's the same God who's coming down from heaven, leaving his throne to wash our feet. There's no other God like this. He is an amazing God. So he goes and he Washes His disciples' feet from verses 4 through 11. The Bible says he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments. I want to create this for you. I want you to come with me and travel with me to first century Palestine. There's Jesus and his disciples, his 12 disciples, are walking through the streets of Jerusalem. They made it to the upper room. There's a U-shaped table. It is not like Leonardo da Vinci mentions, you know, in his portrait of the Last Supper where it's pretty high and the disciples are all on the side. No, it was a lower, way, way lower to the ground and they sit or sat on mats. And what they would do is that they would lean on each other, each other's bosom. So they would lean, the head would lean towards the person, and then their feet would go outward towards the next person. So the next person was right next to their feet, and so on and so on and so forth. And here we have it that they're up in the upper room, ready to participate and celebrate the Passover meal. But it was customary for them to wash their feet first. For us, before we eat, we wash our hands. For them in that culture, if you've been traveling for a long time, your guests will have this bucket of water, basin of water and towel and servants to wash your feet. They had sandals on. It was dusty and dirty in Jerusalem. It was the dirtiest part of their body. So basically it was important for them to wash their feet. So I can imagine they're all in the upper room and they don't see a servant. They don't see a slave. As a matter of fact, in that culture, Jewish culture, and Greek culture, not just any servant would wash someone's feet. The lowest of lowest of lowest servant would be given the task to wash people's feet. Well, Jesus doesn't have a home to lay his head. Jesus doesn't have servants. Jesus has 12 disciples, and they have this upper room where they're meeting to eat. There is a basin of water. There's a towel set aside. They're all sitting down at a U shaped table, and they're thinking to themselves, which one will get up first to wash the other one's feet? I could promise you, not one of them thought Jesus would ever do that. Why? He is the rabbi. He is the rabbi. He is God. He he is king of kings and lord of lords. There's no reason why they would think Jesus would do that. So as they're debating as to which one would do it, here goes Jesus. (laughs) A God like any other God, right? Unlike any other God. A God who came to serve. A God who speaks about great doctrine but acts it out. A God who came to serve his people. And Jesus goes and he removes his garment and begin to wash. But I can imagine before Jesus did that, I can imagine perhaps there were a lot of gossip. Because what happens with the disciples is that they constantly argued with one another. You remember John and James went to Jesus and said, God put one of us on the right and the other one on the left. And the Bible says immediately after that the other disciples were indignant. In Luke's gospel, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22, before they even got to this place, the upper room, on their way to the upper room, they were arguing as to which one was the greatest. So I can imagine as they're sitting down and watching each other's feet, perhaps there was gossip. I can imagine John looking at Peter and saying, man, look at Peter's toes. (laughs) Look at that big old dirt between Peter's toes i can imagine peter looking at john and saying man when was the last time john cut his toenails it's dirty it's filthy i can imagine perhaps they were gossiping about each other but our lord did something amazing that was a problem friends the problem was they did not want to serve but with great calmness and majesty jesus rose from the supper and he laid aside his garments. Even that was embarrassing in that culture. He had to take, out, take off his outer garment and also his tunic. And he had only one garment left. Then he went and he grabbed the towel. He tied it around his waist. He got on his knee and started washing the disciples' feet. Here's the picture. Our creator God is washing the feet of his creation. Isn't that humbling your heart right now? He starts washing and cleaning and he got to Peter, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, you would not wash my feet. The Greek construction of Peter's question shows that he was frustrated and angry. In other words... Peter is really saying to the Lord, Lord, why are you washing my feet? You're the rabbi. You shouldn't be doing this. But Peter spoke specifically for the whole group. And we know this of Peter. This is exactly what he does. He's a guy, he's a spokesperson for the disciples. He's always speaking for the disciples. And here he is speaking for the disciples. Jesus says to him, I must wash your feet. I must wash your feet. He gives this parable and he says to him, Peter, if you're really clean, those who are clean do not need a bath. Right? But if your feet's dirty, then you need to clean your feet. And he says to Peter, you guys are clean. But one of you are not. And the cleanness gives us a picture of what God means by... Regeneration. God is saying to Peter and the other disciples that they are truly saved. You, you, you are saved, Peter. But one of you is not, and that's Judas. But you need the sanctification of God on a consistent basis. So this is why we are washing your feet. There is a sense of God sanctifying his people, is what he's saying to Peter. And Peter jumps up and says, Lord, wash everything my head, my hands, everything, God. This gives us an indication that Peter didn't get it. But he says it to Peter. You don't get it now, but you'll get it later. You don't get it now, but you will get it later. Then the Lord goes and he sits down. He sits down. He turns to his disciples. And we see this in verses 12 through 13, which leads us to our third and final point. We serve each other because of Jesus' example of servitude. He gives us a great example. And see for yourself, don't miss this, friends. I need you to get this. Let's read this together. Jesus says this in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I am doing, what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What example is Jesus giving his disciples here? Some, come in closer, don't miss this. Some have actually said the example that Jesus has given is that we need to be able to have another ordinance. So instead of the Lord's Supper, so we have the Lord's Supper, we have baptism, we need to add another one, that's foot washing. We wash people's feet. We need to do it every Sunday. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He hasn't created another ordinance for us. What Jesus is doing here is simply saying to us that we need to have a humble servant's heart. That we need to care deeply for one another. That we need to serve one another. That we need to find ways to serve people. And what are ways that we can do that? Here are some ways that we can do that. Here are some ways that we can spiritually wash one another's feet. Here are some ways that we can have a humble attitude toward people and to serve people. Taking a very demeaning task or accepting a lesser role. You see, what the world tells us is that we need to be heard and seen. We need the greatest position ever. And even in the church, we bring the same thing. Well, you know, I, I need to be preaching every Sunday, like the pastor. I need to be a Sunday school teacher. I need to be an elder for the wrong motive. But listen very carefully. Your role, simply coming and serving and even cleaning toilets and even cutting grass and even preparing meals for someone that no one will ever know, is important. This is how we can wash one another's feet We do it, not because we want other people to see us, but to make much of God. Not insisting on our rights and privileges. This is a very narcissistic culture we live in. I'm about to say it over and over and over again. especially in our American culture, we, we are all about our rights and privileges. And even in the church, I have the right, I have my privilege, but listen, we are called to serve. Serve people. There are people who get mad at the fact that you're sitting in their pews. <laughs> and that hasn't happened in our church, but I know of several churches that ha- that has happened. You're mad. They're mad because you're sitting where they sit every Sunday. And instead of listening to the preacher preach, they're looking at you and thinking, I want to slap this person across their head. They're sitting where I'm sitting. Really? Meet others needs before meeting our own. This is how we can wash one another's feet. That's what the Bible says. It's not just about your interests, but the interests of others meet other people's needs. Is this hard for us to get? Perhaps because of our culture. It's all about me. It's about people serving me. It's what I can get rather than what I can give looking for a job no one else will do and cheerfully do it. This is how you can wash one another's feet. Focusing on the result, focusing on the result, being achieved and not who is getting credit. So the desire is to get the work done, to serve people and not getting credit. Who saw me? Who's praising me? Who's telling me thank you? Who's, who, who's writing me letters? No. Friends, we must have the disposition that Jesus has here. To wash one another's feet is to have a servant's attitude, servant's heart. Are you able to do that? What is the motivation for us? The love of Christ. He loves us so much. And therefore, we must emulate that love by loving God and loving others. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth that we do have. Thank you for the example that Jesus has left for us. We do not have to reinvent the wheel. But God, what we do have to do is fight against the culture, fight against our hearts and the affections of our hearts. So God, I pray that we can permeate ourselves in the word, and teach us how to die to self. Teach us how to serve others. Let us, O oh Lord, let us think deeply about the love of Christ for us. And we know that by us thinking deeply about the love of Christ, we will love others. We worship you. We exalt you. And we thank you for Christ. In your mighty and precious name, amen.